once we got ashore, it was like everything was frozen in time. There was no weather at all. There was uh, no wind and it was just absolutely silent. Welcome to our inaugural episode. We are uh, Monsters Lounge. I'm Tressa. Here's Jenny. Jenny, give us an intro. Oh boy, Tressa. Yeah. You kind of just ripped it all up there. It's all our right. very, very Thanks first. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Okay. Good night. <laughs> um, it's our very first episode. I'm thrilled. We are Monsters Lounge and we will be talking about all sorts of things, not just tonight, but most nights. <laughs> That we do <laughs> that we do the show on Tuesdays. Yes, uh, very excited to be here. And you know what? I'm very excited about our guest tonight, Tressa. Me too. Fun guy. Fun guy and <laughs> smart guy. Mm -hmm. And he's written stuff. Like what? Oh, like this book, Messages from Mothman. What's which, that? Well, it's a fantastic read. Uh, so pick it up wherever wherever you can find the books, Amazon specifically. But anyway, our guests and our atmosphere tonight are amazing. It's very cold in the Midwest right now, a lot of snow. So we thought immediately Alaska. And mm. what else do you think about in Alaska other than Bigfoot? Uh, uh, canning. Oh, yeah. Canning. I always, I always think about canning when I think about Alaska. <laughs> I think about canning a lot. So that's part of it. <laughs> Do you really? I didn't realize No, that. I don't. No. Oh, okay. Well, this guy has a battery-operated can opener, so that's my <laughs> reference to canning right now. And without nice. further ado, let's bring on our guest. His name is Greg Lawson. Greg. Yay! I have never had a better intro than that. That <laughs> was good. absolutely incredible. You're so welcome. It's I wrote good. it for her. Yeah, I just couldn't come up with the words to appropriately talk about Alaska. Uh, well, you did. You did. Uh, it was very unique. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, and poignant. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Timely. You know, I really, I really aim to pull at the heartstrings with my introductions, <laughs> just my words in general. You pull yeah. it off. Battery operated can opener. Yep. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Thank you yeah, very much. True. So specifically, you're yeah. all kinds of investigative. You do paranormal investigations. You do all sorts of stuff. Yes. And you've been to Alaska looking for Bigfoot. I have. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, people always ask me, you know, oh, so you're a ghost hunter. I'm like, yeah, not, not, not a ghost hunter. No. Oh, you, you do cryptos. Eh, you know, nah. so I have, I have 32 years in law enforcement. So, uh, in, in that I've done most everything except for like traffic stuff. I, you know, I, I did the SWAT homicide instructor and I'm, I'm currently a, uh, director of training for a pretty large uh, academy in Texas. And, my expertise is as I'm a former expert witness. I'm, I'm a, a professor. I teach uh, criminal law at a local college and that's what I specialize in. So in, in my training and experience, I I'm considered a professional researcher and investigator. So it doesn't matter whether I'm investigating a homicide or insurance fraud. 
it's kind of all the same thing. If you're using industry standards and best practices, it's kind of all the same thing. You kind of stay in those lines, uh, but pay attention to the red flags that, that pop up uh, as we will probably talk one day about. That's, that's where I got Cryptic. Yeah. Very yeah. cryptic. So talking about how to get away with murder, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, do I not say that to someone in police? No. Oh, no, no, that's, that's quite that's cool. All right. I'm, I know where a lot of, yeah. Oh, sorry, what? oh moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you go to Alaska? How, how did that come about that you went to go look for Bigfoot and where were you? All of the, all of the details, please. Long story short. Um, no, no, no. Make it long. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Well, um, it was uh, 1982 and uh, I had just, um, um, you got just got out of second grade. I, yeah, I got my <laughs> high school diploma and the, uh, the world crashed like it did in tw uh, 2008, right? Mm -hmm. Everything, all the, the, the car dealerships and everything went down, all the manufacturers and everything. And back then they didn't bail you out. You either ran your business properly or you didn't. And so when they, when that happened, uh, jobs went away. And there wasn't anything for me because I basically had no skill. I was going to be a artist and my father had a bunch of businesses and my plan was he was going to give me a job and give me a lot of money so I could paint and do sculpture. Right. That was, a, that was the big plan. That was That's a great plan. plan. I love this plan. Can I sign up for this plan? Oh yeah. It didn't me work too. though. Oh, it doesn't, wow. doesn't necessarily work because when the economy crashes and your father files bankruptcy and loses all of his businesses, except for here, here's a teaching moment, uh -huh. the liquor store. Oh yeah. If you're going to get into yeah. a business that will survive everything, liquor store. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll go to a, a part-time job employment service and see what I can get there. And I went in there and I filled out their application and I got called in to this old man who's in this little tweed jacket. And I came in there and he's looking at my application. He goes, um, you don't have any training. You don't have any experience. I don't have anything for you. You need to go to college. I said, well, my, my father made too much money and he filed bankruptcy and now I can't get any loans or grants or anything like that. And he goes, well, son, you need to go in the military. I was like, hell no, I'm not going in the military. Three weeks later, I'm on the bus going in the military. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I went in the army. Good. Yeah. So I went from, uh, from long-haired artist to shaved head infantryman. And, yeah. and so w when I graduated out of our uh, AIT, the Advanced uh, Infantry uh, Training, uh, I'd gone to airborne school and, and I was assigned to the 82nd airborne division and they came out and called everybody's names out and told them where they were going. And I had signed my dream sheet, Panama, uh, Hawaii, and Italy. Being that makes Texas. sense. Those are some yeah, good dream spots. Texas, I was like, yeah, I want to stay warm. I want to go do some stuff. And they're like, and where'd well, you end up? <laughs> Alaska. <laughs> oh, that's not the same as what? any of those places. No. Yeah. It, it ripped the heart out of me. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm, I want to go to the 82nd. I want to go, you know, get deployed and do stuff and do this and do that. And they sent me to Alaska and it was the best thing. ever. You had a great time or was the best thing for what you needed at that point? Because those so are two different the, things. I can say this. I know myself uh, well enough now 
that I can say wherever I go, it's going to be the best time. Oh my God. Yeah. What? I know, I know that's arrogance. I don't know. I, I just didn't expect you to say that. Is I all. enjoy I like it. I enjoy I love it. And, that's fantastic. Uh, but it, it was such a different experience going from, you know, Texas summers to Alaskan winters. How so? Um, <laughs> um, you know, just the whole geography, um, the culture, it, it was just, uh, it was, it was amazing. I, I had such a good time. So when I was up there, um, I was re reassigned. I, I went to what's called Black Rapids. Uh, it's a Northern Warfare Training Center at Fort Greeley. Uh, up near Fairbanks, and uh, they asked for uh, cold weather indoctrination CWI instructors, and I had just gone through the the course, and I'm, I volunteered. I was like, hell yeah, stay above the uh, subarctic circle and ski all day long and hike, and and okay. it's just amazing. So, so I was an instructor up there for the winter. I I got to do some really great things. I wrote a book a, a few years ago uh, with Rosemary. You write books? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have off, man. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but I, I did one with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She had come over. And, hey, look at that. She had come over to my table at one of the events and she had a detecting paranormal book that I'd written. She goes, Hey, Greg, we, would you sign this? And I'm like, what is Rosemary Ellen Guiley <laughs> asking me to sign a book? She's the Pope S of the paranormal, you know? And, and nice. I was like, where'd you get that? She goes, well, I, I ordered it on the internet. And I said, you know, I would have given you one. She goes, never give away your books ever. Okay. Good so, so yeah. And she goes, have you, uh, are you signed anywhere? I'd like to do a book with you. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so we ended up doing uh, a how to be a paranormal detective book. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a great experience to have Rosemary Ellen Guiley as my guide and mentor and cross examining me on everything I said. It was great. After that, she, uh, she said, you need to write a book about your experiences. It's like, nobody wants to hear about that. And she goes, no, write me a couple of stories, send them to me. So I did. And she goes, yeah, we're going to do a book. So we did uh, um, Diaries of a Paranormalist, Encounters with Death. And uh, a couple of the stories in it were Alaska stories. And they were, and I could have written more because my most serious, emotional, in-depth experience in the paranormal came in Alaska. Really? Uh, it was more of a metaphysical experience, but to this day, I get kind of uh, a little weird about it when I, when I tell the story. Let's get weird. Uh, tell us about this story, bro. <laughs> talking about Bigfoot. What we... <laughs> I know, but you brought it up. You did. You did bring it up. Yeah, but it's just kind of a teaser, you know? Uh, all right. So I, I was, uh, when, when I was up there in the summertime, uh, I got get chosen for the CWI instructor. Uh, but then in the summertime, they started a program with the Department of the Interior of Alaska with a fire de fire department up there. They wanted to start a um, a swift water rescue, uh, um, uh, a pararescue team because Alaska is so big that the Coast Guard can't take care of all of the coast. And they certainly can't take care of the rivers inside and the large lakes inside and all that stuff. So, so they wanted to train their firemen and their volunteer firemen as swift water rescue and, and pararescue. So they brought in, um, uh, 12, uh, 12 of us from the army, um, four from the coast guard and four from the air force. Mm -hmm. So we did all of our helicopter operations. They sent us to Kodiak and we spent three weeks with the coast guard and Kodiak swimming the whole time. Right. Oh my so, God. 
yeah, the, the water is very cold. Mm -hmm. uh, after we got through doing that, uh, we were there for three weeks and on my time off, I would go over and do different things, but, uh, they had a little Russian, um, historical society there because the Russians obviously used to own Alaska and there was a lot of Russian influence. And so I went to the historical society over there back then, you know, today you can look stuff up on Google and, uh, and just have it right in your hand. But, but back then you had to go to places like historical societies or libraries They had these things called books. I don't know and, what that means. Yeah, you actually oh. had to look up in the encyclopedia. Yeah, uh, Teresa, you had to you had to read things yeah. like articles and I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah. yeah. So I did that and I found this thing. Uh there was a um massacre that happened uh up there on uh, close to Kodiak. The Russians uh ended up killing a whole bunch of uh the indigenous population there. And it was at a place called Refuge Rock. And I kept thinking about it, thinking about it. I dreamed about it. And I, anyway, so my, my last day there at uh, doing the pararescue stuff, uh, we got cut loose. And I went over to, I went over to get an Alaska Uber. Uh, back then, uh, an Alaska Uber in the 1980s was the least drunk guy at the airport that would fly <laughs> you in a little airplane someplace else, right? right. It was, you know, it was a commercial airline, eh, whatever, get in here, give me 40 bucks. And they, they take yeah. you. So I just assumed I it was a dog sled. So <laughs> I had him fly me to a place called Old Harbor. Uh, and it was really weird because I landed at the airport there and I got out and had all my stuff, you know, and, and he goes, yeah, town is that way. Just take off walking down that road. And you didn't see anything. It's just a road off into the woods. Right. Right. And so I'm walking, walking probably a mile and a half, two miles, something like that. And I come around this little bend and there is a Russian Orthodox church in the woods. Oh, from that's got to be gorgeous. 1700s, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's old. Wow. And it's just all overrun and everything. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. So go ahead and look at that. Uh, and then I, I went on a little further, found downtown Old Harbor and, and stayed at the uh, uh, the Bates Motel uh, in Old Harbor. And they apparently have uh, a franchise in Old Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> it's disturbing on some levels. <laughs> Yeah. And I, so I went down and I talked to, there's a whole bunch of fishermen down there and they run, um, um, you know, fishing tours and stuff out of there. So I, I talked to them and I got one of them to give me a ride. He was taking his tour out, give me a ride to this Island, uh, off of there called Caladac Island. And so he dropped me off there and then I had to hike about five miles over Caladac to this little spit where refuge rock is. Um, now there was, there was 2000, uh, men, women, and children that were slaughtered on this rock. Uh, and they were, they were killed by two, uh, Russian fur trading ships that had cannon. So when they tried to round them up, because uh, believe it or not, they, back in the 1700s, everybody owned slaves. I don't know if y'all know that, not, but oh yeah, this is what? news. Maybe it oh, no. was information in a book. Some yeah, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Book. Mm. So, um, wait, 2,000 people was that like the entire village or community? 2,000 people community is that, insane. So, there's yeah. a, there's an argument of whether it was 200 <laughs> or 2,000, but um, neither are great. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would say it would probably be more than around 2,000. So, that what they did is they, they the, the, the people there, they it's really interesting. You can look at Refuge Rock today from uh, Google Earth and zoom in on it. Mm. Uh, uh, from the satellite view, it, if you get a chance, just type in refuge rock, Alaska, um, and zoom in on that thing. And you will see the sand spit between the two sit Kaladak Island sections. 
there's a spit of sand that connects them to on the backside of that spit of sand. There is a, if you look, you will see that there is a big depression. That depression is man-made. I can guarantee you that the indigenous population dug that hole and moved that sand into the water. And they built a little bridge underwater bridge that goes all the way to the, to the rock, which is about 300 yards. And so when I was there, I, I'm, I'm sitting there watching this and, and I am uh, like 19 years old uh, from, you know, Austin, Texas slash Rockdale, Texas. And I'm standing there on this spit of sand by myself as far from human beings as possible, kind of wondering what, what brought me here, you know, what that was all about, why I'm standing there alone. That's kind of where it all culminated was. I was supposed to be on refuge rock. And so oh. I had been in the water for three weeks uh, in dry suits and wetsuits, but I was like, it's not, you know, I, I can, I can do this 300 yards. I can do this. So I step off into the water and I start walking out on that. You can see that the ground is right there. I got a good, probably 75 yards to a hundred yards and the water was up, about up to my waist and it wasn't, it wasn't real choppy, but it was kind of choppy. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I was supposed to go there. And the only way that I can describe this is if you've ever watched a movie or, or a TV show or something where like a demon takes over somebody and makes them stick their hand in the fire or do something really stupid to themselves. Sure. Mm -hmm. sure, sure. That's what that was. I don't think uh, it was a I, demon, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I had no, it, I this was just what I was doing. You were on autopilot. Yeah. yeah and and I get about a hundred yards out there and it's, it's, I'm starting to float a little bit, you know, the water's pretty high and I'm, it's cold. And I started thinking about the animals <laughs> in the water all around me because there is a lot uh, of animal life everywhere. Yeah. There. Yeah. I, I, uh, I lost my nerve and I stopped and I turned around and I went back. I can't, I can't to this day, I can't explain the feeling that I had over that whole thing because I completely failed at what I was supposed to do. You never you went can, back? You can psychologically <laughs> talk all you want to about that. Oh, I will. This was, a, <laughs> this was something more than a decision. This huh. was something that I was supposed to do and I failed to do it. And had I done it, you know, how would that have changed my life? Yeah. Um, I think I would have been dead. <laughs> Probably. But, you know, and, and today, because I didn't go there, I, I will never be able to go there because today it's now a, a world her heritage site. They, oh. they they made it a world heritage site in the nineties mm -hmm. because all those bodies are still there. They bracketed uh, cannon fire in the, in there from those two ships uh, oh on top of that rock. And the, the way the rock is, is, is uh, the village would run out there and get on top of that. And there was no way you could assault that place with boat, you know, uh, uh, mm -hmm. boat arrows and spears and rocks. You couldn't get up there. Uh, they didn't understand cannon fire. And and that oh. was so in the late 17, 1780s or 1790s, uh, there was a Dutch anthropologist that went through that area and actually ended up interviewing some of the people that survived that. So that's where we know uh, the, the Russians, of course, didn't talk about it. Uh, and the, the Inuits or, or any of the indigenous people there uh, didn't write any of it down. So by happenstance, this uh this guy came through there and and documented all that so you can look that up wow. uh, it's pretty pretty crazy so it's it's like the wounded knee of alaska right i mean it's it was a complete slaughter 
yeah, that was kind of my real spiritual experience. Yeah, what a profound moment. How do we well, get from... Oh, go ahead, Justin. No, I would just love to speculate on what happened there for a while, but let's let's move on to Bigfoot. <laughs> How do we get from that sort of spiritual experience to going back up there to investigate Bigfoot? You know, after I get through there, I'm 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 back and there's multiple times it would, and it being in an airborne unit, we get deployed in front of everybody else, right? So airborne units go in first. Uh, they clear out an area and then, you know, they fly in everybody else or drive them in with vehicles or whatever. So we would get uh, uh, assigned surveys for areas that they were thinking that uh, the Russians would would reinvade Alaska because you can in the wintertime, you can come across uh, the Bering Sea. It's 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 solid frozen there and they can actually come across there. And what would be the route going uh, from that peninsula all the way down into like the Anchorage area. So they send airborne units out there and we parachute in and then do surveys with, with maps. And uh, so it was meeting indigenous people out there and them talking about uh, different creatures and different beliefs. Right. So a lot of people say, well, you know, Eskimos, well, Eskimos is, is like saying Indian. There's a whole bunch of different tribe. The uh, Athabascans in Alaska are in the center part of the state. The Inuits are in the North coast. The, the Aleuts or Lutic people are in the Aleutian islands and the Clinket people are down in the Southeastern part of it. So they're all very different. However, they all share very, very similar legends and experiences. Uh, and so I would talk to different people about that. And that was always fascinating because I always like to listen to their stories because these stories, any stories from, from wherever, leprechauns, there is an origin story. Right. There is something that happened that either the experiencer got right or they misinterpreted it a little bit. But does that take away the importance of whatever the, the story is or the evidence of what happened? So up in that area, I've only been on the Yukon River twice. That was always fascinating to me is that the Yukon River is is 3,100 miles long, a little over 3,100 miles long. The, I mean, the United States, was it 2,000 miles long? So it is a long river. It's, it is super yeah. long. These stories are all over Alaska. When I was down in Seward, Alaska, um, I, I got sent down there for the Morale, Welfare, and Recreation Center. I was a good boy. And they said, we're going to reward you and send you down there for a week. I, it was in the summertime. It was great. Normally for Morale, Welfare, and Recreation, they'd send the soldiers on Friday and bring, bring them back on late Sunday, right? So I was there for the whole week and I was one of the only people that were there at the morale welfare and recreation center, which uh, consisted of a Quonset hut, some folding chairs and a cot, right? Oh, <laughs> sounds like a party. <laughs> Today it's uh, like a ski lodge. It's beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. I'm there. There Taking right over and all that stuff. It's, <laughs> it's gorgeous. Back then it was, uh, it was just above eating out of a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. And so uh, they have Coast Guard men that are assigned uh, temporary assigned duty T uh, TDY and uh, they drive these uh, their 32 foot, 28 foot uh, fishing boats uh, that are um, really they're pretty nice fishing boats. And they take the soldiers and sailors and Marines and stuff out fishing just, you know, for a morale thing. So there's nobody else there. And I go down and I talk to these two seamen. I tell them about. Portlock. And I tell them about ah. the Bigfoot murders. 
Uh, and I tell them how this town started and how, you know, white people came in and created a canning industry there and all the local uh, indigenous population came in and worked in that canning industry. And along those years, people started missing being killed. They would find their bodies uh, mutilated uh, in some of the little tributaries that lead into Port Chatham and uh, in Portland. Then I told them, I explained to them in about 1948, 1949, the entire village packed up and left because they believed a Nantanook was killing everyone. Now, when, when you talk about Nantanooks, the, the, the cryptids in Alaska, there's a whole bunch of different ones. There's really cool ones. Ooh. Yeah, there, there's some really cool ones that like uh, are supposed to scare kids away from uh, the, the water because they'll they'll come out of the water and get you. Are those the otter people? Yeah, the, all the otters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's real. They're really cool. But you know, like, like Sasquatch, Bigfoot, um, stick man, that's all uh white. Man. Stick man. Yeah. yeah. Is he made out of sticks? I've never heard of stick. No, no, man no. He, he makes little stick for, you know, the, the, you've seen Bigfoot, you know, the little yeah. thing uh, the, that he uh, makes. Yeah. That but that's yeah. Bigfoot. That's yeah. They, well, they call him stick man up there. They, cause Does he, he makes stuff little, with sticks. Yeah. Okay. He makes little stick things and, right, and, and throws sticks at you also. Yeah. Just, um, throwing them yeah yeah so they like there's a there's a uh it's called a uh geeluk it's uh it's like a shaggy cannibal giant and they typically live uh near the glaciers uh, and they come and eat you oh. and uh, they, they, they're also they they call them a guy up near denali park that i was talking to he he called it shaggy man in a little hat that, <laughs> that was the only way that he a hat could, yeah big shaggy man in a little hat <laughs> um, that was the, the, whatever the, uh, Athabascan word was for that. I yeah. was like, what, what is it? Okay. That's what it is. I don't remember what it, what he told me, but I said, well, what does it mean? What does it mean? He goes, big shaggy man in little hat. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> I, right. I don't want to get eaten by that guy. No. I want to um, know about this hat. What did it look like? like yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's stories about that. Yeah. I don't know if the hat ever comes off. I think it's just there. The Inuit people talk about tornets or hairy men, uh, bushmen. You got the Nantanook uh, in the southern part. There's a uh, there's a glacier demon also. Valdez Glacier has a glacier demon. That's a pretty good story because uh, I think it's Colonel Abercrombie, uh, one of the uh, surveyors, one of the uh, survey army surveyors that was was up there, was talking to a Swedish guy that was up there that was a prospector. And Abercrombie was talking to him and the Swedish guy told him how there was a man and his son and they were trying to get across a glacier. And the father was at the back of the sled pushing. If you've never been on a glacier, glacier training and the crevasses, the big cracks in the glacier, mm -hmm. the sticky snow will land on the glacier and then build like a bridge across the crevasse. But it's soft as powder and the crevasse is, you know, 900 feet deep. So all of a sudden you're gone right? Yeah. Oh. Disappear. And so the glacier demon eats you, right? But it, it has grown from that. But anyway, this particular man actually uh, said he witnessed uh, this demon jump out and he was smaller than what a Bigfoot would be, but very broad and stocky and jumped on his son's back. And, what? Yeah. And killed his son. Choked him to death and killed him. And so he wow. killed his son, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you can actually go. Uh, he's he's buried very close to there, and you can go to his grave down there. Uh, but yeah, so there's there's all kinds of really cool things. But the the story of multiple people being murdered by Bigfoot 
by Nantanook at Portlock is pretty amazing. Um, well, weren't the reports like something like 16 people went missing in a very short period of time? And those were just official reports? You like know what, Jenny? Even... That's a great question. And we'll get right back to it after this message. <laughs> Hey, yeah. What about that? What Jenny just said. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. So here we go. Depends on who you talk to. Um, okay. Things that you have to consider uh, whenever you're researching things like this is 16 people missing official reports, right? Where are those official reports coming from? Right. What How years was this? So we're, we're looking at this being an active canning area from the early 1900s to basically 1948, 1949, depending on who, what article you read out of what newspaper or whose blog or, you know, whose website, right. um, they will say anywhere from eight to 16 people. Some say it's a very short amount of time. Some people refer to it as, you know, over that time period, there were eight people or whatever. The, the problem with it is we will never know. The actual territorial police in Alaska wasn't oh. created until 1958. Oh, okay. I didn't so realize that was, that was years after the, the town packed up. There was no law up there at all. Yeah. So where are these official reports? Right. If there's no actual office producing. <laughs> there's none. Okay. Um, so we, we don't have much of anything. We, we know that prospectors and hunters went missing. Uh, around the cannery in at different times. I want you to think about something. Most of the people that were working at the cannery there, if they were an indigenous population, they were people coming in from California, Oregon, Washington, whatever, to populate that area at that time. Remember, uh, this is a very new state at that point. I mean, they just didn't have the infrastructure. They didn't have the people. And so you have a lot of people that don't understand this area don't know the mountains and uh, can't predict the weather. So you go up there and there's a, at Portlock right across the bay. So, Oh, well, I was going to say, uh, when I talked those, uh, those guys into taking me around to Portlock, right? So <laughs> we made the trip and, uh, and it took us a long time, uh, <laughs> but we got on property for about two hours. And we looked around and it was one of the most weirdest places I've been. Once we got ashore, it was like everything was frozen in time. There was no weather at all. There was uh, no wind. What? And it was just absolutely silent. There were three buildings up at that point. Now there's only one. Uh, but we looked at that building. We I wanted to look and find where the graveyard was. I think I found where the graveyard was. Went to where the cannery was, you know, looked in the water, all the junk that's in the water. It's a, it's a dump, right? Well, across the bay, there is a chromite mine. You can see it, uh, the hole for the chromite mine over there. And then on top of Red Mountain is also another chromite mine. All you got to do is look up chromite and see what kind of uh, minerals are leached out of that when you mine it and you, you refine it and what kind of heavy metals could affect someone's perception on what might be happening. Oh, uh, at, what? I didn't even consider any of that. Yeah, you look at the Erebus and the Terror, the two ships that uh, got squeezed in the ice. Um, uh, it was in the 1700s. They just found the uh, the Terror. 
it's, you know, they're all sunk and everything, but, but those guys had a really bad problem because those ships were stocked with lead lined cans of food. So for two years, these guys were ingesting this stuff and, you know, on top of getting scurvy and freezing all winter long and, and, you know, having to eat their dogs and it was a horrible situation. You know, when, when you're eating uh, heavy metals like that, no telling what kind of hallucinations or or brain problems you might, cognitive problems you might start having, right? So you have to throw that into the mix. Sure. Um, you have to throw into the mix that there was no law there. So there wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody went missing, they're like, ah, the guy went missing. <laughs> Shouldn't have gone up there. Uh, you have uh, in the 1940s, early, the late 30s, early 40s through 44, they're operating that chromite mine because they needed chrome for uh, barrels, gun barrels, artillery barrels and stuff like that. So they opened that mine back up. And you got to think about the guys that are mining that. Those are the guys that couldn't get in the military because every man back then was wanting to get in the military, right? Yeah. 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 Um, they, wanted, they wanted to serve. And if you couldn't, well, you had to do these other jobs and that was one of them. They got paid pretty good. Imagine going up there. You're from Oklahoma. You're up in Alaska. You're getting paid pretty good. You decide to buy a rifle and go doll sheep hunting up on the mountain. <laughs> yeah. You're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to yeah. die. Yeah. Yeah. Now the and, bodies that were found were were mutilated pretty right. significantly. Right. And once again, I am not minimizing the fact that there are people that have seen these creatures mm-hmm. that were not eating lead line beef or whatever that were mountain men that had been out there their entire life and was like I was not attacked by a bear. I was attacked by a Bigfoot. So that is not the case in, in Portlock, but what were those cases higher up on the, the, uh, Yukon river. Okay. Uh, There was a guy named Albert, um, Petka. He was a prospector and a fisherman. And, uh, he was at new Lotto, Alaska, I think is where he was. And it's on the Yukon river. And he was further up in, in his skiff. He lived on a boat there. Uh, and he was further up the river on his, on a skiff. And was attacked. And when he, you know, he made it back downstream uh, to Mulatto. And uh, that's what he told them was that he was attacked uh, by a Nantanook. He was attacked by a a hairy man. And this guy would know the difference between a bear and a Bigfoot. There are are people that have seen bear in the woods and the bear has a hurt paw and he will stand up and he will walk around. Sure. And he doesn't put any weight on that front paw and he will like a circus bear, you know, and he's walking mm-hmm. around. Uh, and, and, and we've all seen circus bears. Yes. Circus mm-hmm. bear with a big ball and, you know, jumping around. And <laughs> so for somebody who doesn't know the woods and sees that like, Oh my God, man, you know, what else does that? Only Bigfoot does that. He's hairy. It's a Bigfoot. I saw a Bigfoot. I saw Sasquatch. Yeah. That's, that's not the case. This guy, mm-hmm. Albert Petka, knew his environment. He grew up in that environment his entire life. Guy named John Muir. He was also attacked. He actually gave a pretty good description. He was attacked by a Bigfoot or a Tornet. And um, his dogs, he had a lot of dogs with him and they ran the animal off. And that happened much further up near a uh, town called Ruby, probably about 20 miles from Ruby. Okay. Uh, When I see original reports from people, 
Like, mm-hmm. what is this? Or where's the origin report? You have to qualify your witness, right? You have to quali- qualify uh, this person. You have to figure out, all right, do they have good eyesight? Are they cognitive? <laughs> you know, are, can, can they make good decisions? Are they aware of the things in those areas? What is natural and what what's normal? Sure. And when you when you answer all those questions, you go, "What'd you see, dude?" And he just goes, "It wasn't a bear. It was Bigfoot." What do you? I mean, what do you do? Eh, okay, that's what you got. Um, and and the, the there's great stories. The Inuit people have great stories of the tournaments. Mm-hmm. They used to the stories for them. They used to coexist. The Inuit people and the tournaments traded together. Uh, the tournaments did not have a language uh, like that they could communicate, but they could meet and not fight and trade things. And, and a problem happened because a, a juvenile tournament um, tried to steal a kayak from one of the Inuit people. And it, that's like stealing a man's horse in 19 or in 1850 in Texas. I'm going to kill you. You're, we're going to hang you if you try to steal a horse because that's my livelihood. Mm-hmm. If you steal my horse, I'm dead for a, uh, a person living in that area, if you steal their kayak, they're dead. So, um, he ended up this, this, uh, Inuit person ended up killing this tournament, this Bigfoot person. And that was the separation. They say when the tournaments then walked into the woods and they were never seen again. Now of all of the, so we get a lot of like the murderous sort of reports and, and stories out of Alaska and not as many coming from from other areas when you hear stories about bigfoot or sasquatch a little bit more south they don't seem to be as angry <laughs> why are they so angry greg oh, weather is makes it you because angry. they're cold or is it oh, because bad things happen to you when it's cold takes away all your viralism <laughs> is it the cold or is it this sort of broken pact that they they sort of had with the first peoples? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't, I don't know because you're right. There, it's most interactions, most accounts that people have about. I'm, I'm just using a generic, you know, Sasquatch mm-hmm. is not a a violent thing. Uh, Alaska has the stories of of violent things happening with with these creatures. Uh, but like you said, it's very, um, I mean, you think, uh, okay, the, the Yukon river is 3,100 miles long. We have two incidents of men getting killed by a creature that they said was Bigfoot on the Yukon river. That's it. So just, just kind of one-offs like that's yeah. just what you hear is the, the violent thing and not necessarily the stories of the trading. Right. Yeah. You, you never hear any of that. And, and that, that is quite possibly a myth, right? But where did it come from? You know, was it, think about, obviously, I don't know if y'all know this, but I'll try to demonstrate. (laughs) I have a, (laughs) I have a protruding orbital ridge right here. Boy, howdy. Yeah. Is that what that Um, is? I was concerned. So, uh, you go and you, you look up, uh, uh, 23 and me and you spit in a cup and send it to them. And they uh, tell you what your DNA is right here. Ladies, 3.5%. Neanderthal. Neanderthal. Oh, yeah. Nice. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why, you know, when Lynn comes out and sees me sitting in the garage, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> that's why. What are you thinking about? Nothing. It's all making, st- making stone tools. That is all. Is that oh, what you're doing? Great. Yeah. I got them upstairs. Right. <laughs> um, so we, we obviously homo sapiens and, and 
you know, just homo, uh, whoever, homo habilis, homo erectus, homo, all of these guys interacted together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously we uh, thought some uh, Neanderthal woman was uh, desirable or or maybe they were, maybe it was vice versa. Yeah. yeah, Verse visa. Yep. And so that happened. So why wouldn't it happen in Alaska 20,000 years ago, 40,000 years ago, assuming that there were population there? So your theory is that there's uh, Neanderthal hybrids in the mountains living as wild people? So that pretty much sums it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, After talking with people with PhDs who are anthropologists and zoologists and Uh stuff like that uh, at Phenomicon in Vernal, Utah, Mm -hmm. and they say, by all means, there could be a population of 500 Bigfoot living in America and we would never know it. Yeah, I think it's 500 to 2,000 they're saying yeah. no. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no reason why up in those very, very <laughs> nothing up there areas that they could be hiding from the airplanes. They could be hiding from the trucks. I mean, we don't go in quiet. We, we're going to go in with snowmobiles or mm-hmm. trucks or airplanes or helicopters they're going to know we're coming. It would be very easy to hide from you. Um, the problem is, is hiding your tracks. They'd have to be very smart about the way that they, you know, transition to areas and, and that sort of thing. But or it's very, all very easy. Very adept at it. I mean, yeah. you know, you look at indigenous peoples, there's a lot of blending into the environment and difficulty yeah. to track. And, and who knows? The tornadoes could have gotten with the lizard people and gone underground. That's <laughs> <laughs> Only come out for, what? you know, occasional. That's an Iceland. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I don't know where that is. Now, uh, you kind of think it's more of a like, uh, like a flesh and blood sort of scenario because I know that there's some discussion back and forth about the paranormal aspect or even sort of the quantum physics aspect of Bigfoot versus the. This is a large primate that's just managed to to elude being being seen. So I was part of a uh, um, a, a research group that we're looking at doing a TV show a few years ago. I've worked fugitive warrants, and I've worked with a lot of people that hunt down people. Um, he's not a, a primate, in my opinion. So there's more of a more of a paranormal aspect to it. So n- n- he's just really smart. Now, it's very convenient. It's very, very convenient to say he's a time shift. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a dimensional being. He's he's a quantum leaper. We um, actually rely on theoretical matter yeah, at that point. That's very convenient to say that's why we can't find him. Well, uh, I mean, there's other reasons people say that, but sure, go ahead. <laughs> and, well, and I like it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, yeah. I, I, I get to make fun of stuff because I do. <laughs> That is a very convenient way to say we can't find him. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, yes, it, but there's a lot of other reasons why people say that other than that we just can't find him. <laughs> it's true. not just like he's elusive. He must be paranormal. <laughs> Go ahead. So Sorry. if uh, if he's really smart, if he's if he's human smart, well, he can uh, avoid humans all day long. It's not a no, oh yeah, not, gonna be not a problem. Um, so if he is, if he is that smart, which you, let's say the Tornets that had this relationship with the, the indigenous population in Alaska, and they evolved in the last 40,000 years to avoid people. Mm-hmm. There you go. 
I've evolved in the last something. You don't need to know years to do that. It's easy. (laughs) She's very good. I'll be looking right at her one minute and then she's gone. Yep. Absolutely. Missed. I'm sitting here looking at myself in this thing. and it's like (laughs) I I still look like the cat that got hit with the slice of American cheese. I'm like, why am I like Aim your camera down a little bit. Is that what it is? I don't know. I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, I think so. I think it's an angle. I, I mean, name. you've never podcasted before, so I get it. It's, it's weird. It's this yeah. this whole situation is weird. And it's cold up here too. I know it's cold. It's quite cold. It's quite Where's cold and hat? dark. Can't find it's my highly dark. So were were there like some massacre with Bigfoot? <laughs> yeah, well the <laughs> portlock talking about it. That's the different oh. different stories in Portlock. Oh. Um, was was you know it's like at at the point of the whole town packing up and leaving the cannery just leaving because of bigfoot and this is where a lot of the paranormal investigators go or the cryptid investigator the bigfoot hunters go is like let's look at this um this article that was written in the 1970s in the Alaska you know Anchorage Daily Times or whatever the the newspaper was and we're go on this as fact and now we're going to go hunt bigfoot instead of maybe doing a research on like the historical cannery project and find out why canneries were shut down and when and who owned them and how they moved their business and those sorts of things so correlation boring does not (laughs) always equal causation what but we still have all of these stories from indigenous people and absolutely. And there's, there's something, if you start to listen to them, there's just this sort of spirituality that comes along with it. And this partnership mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, I could very easily buy, especially in a place like Alaska, you know, just like you were talking about with your experience earlier, it's, it's where you face so much unknown and so much uh, information that you're just, this tiny dot in a big, big world. <laughs> Completely insignificant. Yeah. So insignificant. It's crazy. <laughs> so because I, and, and like I said, I, I have no, when, when I went to Portlock, mm-hmm. it was a weird place. Um, I, I can say, okay, it was, a, it was a very weird place. The trails that were through there that were covered in bear scat was pretty phenomenal. So the bear... <laughs> The what bear, was so great about that bear oh, scat? Incredible, man. <laughs> um, you had to walk around this stuff. There was a lot of it. And it's because the bear come down to those, uh, the, the different streams that are coming off the mountain and the areas there, as far as where the fish are, the areas where the salmon are running. And that's where the bear are going to congregate. And the fact that in Portlock, the way that all of the melt off, all the breakup and all of the the debris that comes down is kind of flattened out right there. There's a very good place to go and walk around and do things as opposed to just the mountains going straight into the ground or into the sea. So it's it's an ideal place for humans and it's ideal habitat for wildlife. And you look at that and you go, okay, what are the, what is the most likely thing that happened here as opposed to Bigfoot? Mm-hmm. Why don't we jump straight to Bigfoot? You know, it's like, what the hell, what happened? Okay. Let's say there's six people that were murdered at uh, Portlock and their bodies were dumped over there. And then, you know, they were chopped up and everything. Wouldn't we go serial killer first? 
Well, I mean, I would. I don't. I don't immediately. <laughs> but I've I've felt that Bigfoot was framed for this for a long time, and yeah. I think that we've proven that tonight. <laughs> Have we? I Bigfoot did not kill anybody in that area. Maybe I, he got a little mad. He was cold. He was I, mad. He couldn't open cans. No. <laughs> he was all out of batteries. <laughs> I. I. Uh... I don't understand why people didn't just, okay, it wasn't a bear. Everyone says, hey, it wasn't a bear. But there's all these trails with apparently a lot of bear scat. A lot of bear. So here's what I had planned on doing last summer. We had put together a group. We were going to go to Portlock. And then I contacted the bureau up there, the Indian Bureau up there, and found out that that is all tribal land now. Uh, there was a law that was passed a few years ago that all of that uh, open land, all like BLM, what would kind of be considered just government land, was all returned to the uh, the uh, uh, native people, which is fantastic. I'm yes, completely absolutely. for it. A thousand percent. Um, but th- they're as incompetent as running stuff as we are. Uh, and so Let's you can't get that. out there unless you pay somebody, unless you have a hookup, unless this and that. And um, they had a TV show that went out there and uh, and did some stuff. You know, I don't think they liked them going out and shooting the TV show on their land and that sort of stuff. So yeah. I talked to, I can't remember what his title is, but I talked to him. He's like, yeah, you might want to wait a couple of years and try to think about doing it again. Because I want to go up there and do a survey of Portlock uh, and map out everything, where all the buildings were, where the streets were where all that stuff was. I want to do a survey for the Chromite mine uh, and for Red Mountain as far as the uh, heavy metal runoff and collect samples on all that stuff. Um, when they were pulling all of the mining equipment out of the, the Chromite mine at the water's edge, the barge overturned and all of that stuff went in the water and they just left it. So I want to scuba dive that and Oof. and map that debris field and see what kind of uh, environmental impact happen because I, I, I think by doing that, it serves two purposes. I can do the, the paranormal investigative part of it, but I can also provide a service to the, to the Bureau, uh, to possibly file for, um, some sort of federal assistance as far Mm -hmm. as cleanup goes, because I, I firmly believe that there's some heavy metal issues there that probably should be looked at. Well, and I think we just kind of answered, you know, like you take all those factors in, to Tress's question about like why jump immediately to Bigfoot, you know, you have a history of towns that have been either decimated or wiped out or abandoned because this wasn't the first town that was kind of in that area. And then you have the environmental issue with the heavy metals sort of leaching into the environment. You know, you have the legends and the myths that are already there and you have inexperienced people who perhaps have never seen a bear, who have perhaps have never seen any sort of like large predator whatsoever. So you kind of, you kind of build on that. Yeah. And, and, and for the people that are like, ah, this freaking guy, I'm not (laughs) saying it wasn't Bigfoot. I'm saying that I think that we need to eliminate the naturally occurring things Oh yeah. Normally occur- occurring things before we go paranormal with it. Listen, I want I everything would... to be paranormal and crazy and weird, mm-hmm. but I'm yeah. also not going to be like a blanket statement. It was paranormal, especially if he's going to be a murderer. You guys chill out. Yeah, well, and there's know. room for both, you know, there's yes, so much absolutely. space and so many things that are unexplored and unseen by 
by human eyes and certainly by modern eyes that there's still great swaths of land that are not explored and we're finding new things every every single day you know and there's a lot of paranormal out there and there's also a lot of rational explanation mm-hmm. there was there's a lot of serial killing stuff going on in alaska because it's really oh. easy to get away with uh, uh, one, of, one of my mentors yeah. are you giving named, tips right now yeah, yeah. i think so go up there go up there they'll never figure it out Ooh. um one of my mentors a guy named jeff hall he was a, a state trooper up there for a long time uh, he is a, an amazing guy. He's, he's one of the only, he's the only United States law enforcement officer that has shot and killed a suspect while flying in a helicopter. <laughs> what? Is yeah. he Magnum PI? I know I would have he that was. on my business cards. Je- Jeff Hall is the man. Uh, you can look him up at, uh, I mean, forceoptions, forceoptions.net or hojutsu.net. And, um, so him and his partner, his partner was killed in this gun, this gun exchange. His partner is is buried like 20 miles from me here. So they were, they were looking for, I think his name was Sitka. The the last, the guy's last name was Sitka. Um, he was a a spree killer, serial killer. So he'd just walk up to somebody's car, shoot them, kill them, yank them out, get in the car, drive, go steal another car, steal a boat, steal a plane, do whatever he's doing. He's killing everybody all along. So Jeff and his partner started uh, tracking this guy. Uh, and, and let, and, let's um, keep in mind, this is not a true crime podcast and I hate it. Yeah. So no, uh, I don't like any sorry. of where this no. is going. <laughs> well, no, but I'm just saying that, that th- there is that possibility in Portlock mm-hmm. that this is a, um, a serial killer situation. Well, and let's not rule out the possibility of the outer people. I mean, <laughs> oh. You know, the worst. So, yeah, we mean. have a lot of those. We have a lot of the uh, the bear and otter people here in Austin. Oh, do you? Yeah. All right. Do you mean furries? <laughs> a little bit both. <laughs> Just want to say that this is not a furries podcast. No. <laughs> Thank you. I <laughs> meant to say that at the beginning, but I'm glad you said it eventually. Yeah. Uh, you guys, our time is up. You guys have any last thoughts on this or anything? Mm. nope okay i'm pretty much wrong (laughs) no i didn't say that did i say fight i probably said that fight fight. i like the looking for the reasonable explanation because everything past that is all all us yeah all up to us and whatever you want to believe first knock that out and then whatever is not there whatever is missing is going to be the paranormal part also, thank you for telling me about Alaska because that is a place that I do not plan on going. Yeah, that uh, sounds terrible. Tend not to go north. It's the best ever. I'm yeah. sure it's beautiful. You know, I, I like to read about it. I like to uh-huh. read about the cold, cold mountains. You know, but I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be there. I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go to southern areas where it's warm. You're it's not good. There now. Those are good. <laughs> well, I want to thank y'all for having me on. I appreciate it. That's uh, it's a big honor for me to, for you guys to bring me on so I could just like destroy your show. Uh, <laughs> that was my whole plan. It's <laughs> such an Whatever honor to have you destroy our show before we even started. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Everybody else, uh, go rate and subscribe or whatever you do with the things with the stuff. <laughs> You're welcome, America. And Good other job, places. Jessa. Thank you. Good job. God. <laughs> so until next time, we'll see you. We have been at the Monsters Lounge. <laughs> Bye. Wow.